reading of God's Word. Today's passage is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible in front of you, you can find the passage on page 909. Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. I want to say it's just a great joy to worship with you all on this first Sunday of 2024. So once again, it's Acts 1 through, 1, 1 through 11. Now hear this, God's holy and inerrant word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let me pray once more. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for your word as it was just read to us. And now we're praying for your spirit to come and to accompany the preaching of your word, for your spirit to do a, a mighty work in each and every one of us. Lord, your spirit has already done so much in the life of Houston Chinese Church, and uh, we just are so grateful. And as we are uh, here today, gathered on the, the first Sunday of a new year, Lord, we just come uh, with anticipation of what you will continue to do in the life of your church. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, friends, if you have been worshiping with us over the past year, you're probably, you probably have heard a number of times us talking about our latest church planning project, which fits right in with the rich legacy of church planning here at Houston Chinese Church. In our church's history, We've been directly involved in the planting of five, uh, five independent churches in Clear Lake, in Port Lavaca, in West Houston, in Sugarland, uh, even a church over in Almaty, Kazakhstan, 
And as many of you know, we're still in the process of planting a church in Pearland. Well, this morning, we have the privilege of sending off a church planting team to plant a unique kind of church on the west side of town in the neighborhoods surrounding the Energy Corridor. Like all our church plants that we've been involved with, the goal, of course, the primary goal is to plant a gospel-preaching, disciple-making, church-planting church. But like HCC, the five church plants that I had mentioned previous, a, 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 a moment ago, those were also uh, Chinese heritage churches like us. Uh, churches that include a Chinese-speaking ministry aimed at reaching the immigrant community. So what's unique about this latest project is that this is going to be a plant that specifically comes out of our English congregation that's led by an English side leader that's building a team of believers from around area churches, and, and, and some of these believers are not of Chinese descent, and it's designed to be a church intentionally pursuing a multi-ethnic ministry. Over the years, you've probably heard us discuss here in this service about the importance of church diversity. The greater the diversity of the members in a church, the greater the opportunity for the gospel to shine, for the unifying power of the gospel to be on display in the way it draws together a disparate people into one body, the body of Christ. And over the years, you've heard us made the point that diversity comes in all different forms. A church can be diverse generationally, culturally, economically, linguistically, and of course, ethnically. And all these forms of diversity have the potential to divide us if we're not careful, but they also have the potential to magnify Christ in us. And the point I've been making in the past is that a Chinese church like ours is already diverse, with the obvious differences in age between our very, within this congregation and our various congregations, also differences in culture, differences in language. And while our goal is to reach and to welcome anyone whom God puts into our lives, anyone of, of all ethnicities, we believe that HCC can more effectively contribute to that vision of multi-ethnic churches by planting out churches with that vision specifically in mind. In an ethnically diverse city like Houston, there are so many solid Majority culture churches trying to plant multi-ethnic expressions led by majority culture church planners. I think what's needed are more ethnic churches planting with minority planters that pursue the same multi-ethnic vision, but just coming from a different direction. Because along the way, some people are going to feel more comfortable jumping on board, going this direction, coming from a church like ours to that same goal, compared to jumping on board to a majority culture church plant coming from the other direction. So we're just talking about two kinds of churches headed towards the same goal, just coming from different directions. And that, my friends, is the vision that gave birth to Ethnos Church. Now, Jonathan Huang, as many of you know, is a faithful brother who loves the Chinese Heritage Church, who grew up in this very one at HCC, 
who served for, for many years as an effective small group leader, as an elder in our church, who, who pivoted his career as a physician, and he began to pursue a calling to pastor, and specifically to help plant a new church. Now, back in the fall of 2022, John came on staff as our church planting resident, and he received intensive training from the Houston Church Planting Network, and he also received practical ministry experience serving among us. And over the course of this past year, he has been recruiting and developing a church planting team consisted of 14 adults and 10 children. And by God's grace, Ethnos will be starting out with a strong fi financial foundation. We have generous donors have already given over $100,000 to help it get off the ground. And HCC, as the sending church, has committed to covering one-third of Ethnos's projected budget for the first three years, including all of their startup expenses. That's how much we believe in this church planning project. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's going to be our joy and our privilege to send off this Ethnos church planning team later this morning. Uh, and after this service, what they're going to do is they're going to gather together here in our building to hold a private worship service. And they're going to take communion together for the first time. They're going to covenant together as Ethnos Church. And they're going to start next week, uh, 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 Lord willing, they're going to begin worshiping together on the Lord's day. And so it, it is just our honor to, to be a part of this process and sending them off. And it's my honor to be able to preach a message that's going to be directed to all of us, but particularly directed to our church planning team, which I believe they're all kind of sitting over there. So our, our text this morning comes out of the first chapter of Acts. Uh, it's, it's going to be a, a fitting text for this occasion as we send Ethnos and as they go, as we seek together as two churches to advance the mission of God. There are three aspects of this mission that is worth our consideration as we look at this text. And so together, uh, if, if you want to just uh, pull out your, uh, your, um, uh, the outline that's found in your bulletin, you'll see these, these three considerations. Together, we want to be two churches on mission, on a mission that's first advanced with the Spirit's power, Second, advance with centrifugal force. And third, advance with patience and diligence. All right, so the first thing we see in our text is that the church, whether HCC or Ethnos, we are on a mission, advance with the Spirit's power. Our mission is so difficult that it cannot be advanced by man's strength alone. If the apostles were to go forth preaching the gospel, if they were to go forth trying to make disciples, it doesn't matter how organized they are. It doesn't matter how much effort they exert. It doesn't matter how much enthusiasm they have. They will fail miserably if they attempt to advance without the Holy Spirit. That is the point being made in verses 1 to 5. Look at verse 1 again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, tr tradition tells us that the author of Acts is really none other than Luke, the author of the third gospel, and uh, you know, which which he refers to here in 
reference to that first book. That's referring to his gospel. That's where he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, which suggests that this second book, the book of Acts, is going to deal with all that Jesus continues to do and teach, but now specifically through the church. Now, I think it's really helpful for us to read, and if you have never done this before, you should just read through the Gospel of Luke and go straight into the book of Acts, because they are really just one piece of literature written by the same author. Luke ends... And Acts begins with a focus on the very same event, on the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's that, that moment is really the linchpin between these two books. Just look, look at verse 2. Luke says his gospel addressed all that Jesus did and taught until the day when he was taken up, referring to the ascension, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, the commands that he gave to the apostles, if you're wondering what is that referring to, that can be found at the end of the Gospel of Luke. At the end of Luke, in chapter 24, in verses 47 to 49, it says this, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, this is Jesus speaking, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So those are Jesus' last commands to his disciples. And so even, even, the, even the Gospel of Luke ends with, with instructions, as you notice here, to wait to wait for God to empower them from on high before they go about advancing their mission to proclaim to all nations the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And if you return back to our text, if you look in verses 4 to 5, we see that this power that's supposed to come from on high is referring to the Holy Spirit himself. The verse 4 of our text. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In other words, they must not move forward until they receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, throughout the, the Old Testament, and even during Jesus' earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit was present. The Holy Spirit was active. We read about the Holy Spirit falling on or rushing upon individuals. We read about the Holy Spirit entering people, filling people. And the whole effect there was to empower these individuals to serve the Lord, either giving them strength, giving them a particular skill, giving them a prophetic utterance. But just as quickly as he would come upon you, the Spirit would depart from you. That's why King David prays in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because that, that, that was a possibility. He would come and he would go. The presence of the Spirit in your life in those days wasn't permanent. He didn't take up permanent residence. That is, until this prediction and this promise of the Holy Spirit's baptism. And based on what occurs in Acts chapter 2, we're told that the, the, the apostles didn't have to wait too long for this. Uh, in verse 3, we're told that Jesus remained with them for 40 days before ascending. Well, 
on the day of Pentecost, which is a holiday that's celebrated 50 days after Passover. And Passover, you recall, is, is, is when all the events of his death and resurrection occurred. On Pentecost, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit suddenly came rushing down. So really, they only had to wait five, uh, 10 days, 10 days for the Spirit to come. And once baptized by the Spirit, the apostles are now empowered to witness, empowered to proclaim the gospel. And Peter stands up and he preaches the first sermon in the name of the risen Lord, which we're told leads to the conversion of about 3,000 souls. Unlike the experiences of the Holy Spirit prior to the ascension, the baptism of the Spirit was no temporary enablement that would just come and go. No, the Spirit became a permanent, empowering presence in the church, accomplishing mighty deeds through ordinary people. And what was the result? Well, starting with just 120 disciples, within 30 years, the church shook the foundation of the Roman Empire. Within 250 years, half of the empire professed to be Christians. And since then, the faith has spread throughout the world, having transformed the lives of billions and billions of people. I mean, just think about it. Because they waited for the Holy Spirit, this small band of fishermen and tax collectors turned the world upside down. Church, remember that we too have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. We too have been clothed with power from on high. Yet, we should ask ourselves, are we turning the world upside down? How often do we go about serving the Lord without waiting for him, without conscious dependence upon him? It's so easy, it's so tempting to, to fall into a pattern where we're just, you know, we're just faithfully doing our ministry. We're serving, we're going about doing what we need to do, yet all the while depending on our own wisdom, our own strength, our own experience. The, the Lord is issuing, I believe, a similar order to us. HCC, before you send out Ethnos, a new church on mission for the gospel, Wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Ethnos, do not advance forward until your, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength is consciously relying on the Spirit's indwelling presence and power in you. We can't do this on our own. We have to be depending upon the Spirit. That's how crucial and difficult our gospel mission is. It cannot be engaged by man's strength alone. That's the first thing, the first thing we see here in this text. This is the kind of mission we're on. It is a spirit-dependent mission. The second thing we see is that the, is that the church is on a mission advanced with centrifugal force. Now, in case you don't remember your physics class, centrifugal force is referring to a force that moves out from a center point outwards. So if you're spinning something, it's gonna move, the force is gonna move it outwards. Uh, the opposite of that is centripetal force, right? Okay, so keep that in mind. Centrifugal in, moving out. This is what I believe is emphasized for us in verse 8. 
what we see is that the mission of God, does, it does have a center. Its center is particularly focused on Israel, specifically on the city of Jerusalem. But the mission is intended to advance outward from Jerusalem with centrifugal force. The disciples had a sense of this, but it was only a partial sense. They knew the center of God's mission is Jerusalem. They knew it's focused on Israel because they were steeped in the Old Testament. And that's why in verse 6 you find them asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, the problem, though, is that they're thinking about restoring Israel's monarchy with Jesus sitting on David's throne. They thought he was about to restore Israel's national glory. Now, there is a sense in which Jesus died, rose, and ascended with the goal of restoring Israel, but not its national sovereignty. He did it to restore Israel's unique mission to the world. You see, from the beginning, Israel was blessed in order to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. They were commissioned to be, quote, a light for the nations that God's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's Isaiah 49, 6. In other words, Israel's mission has always been focused on being blessed in order to bless the world. But in the Old Testament, Israel blessed the nations really with what you could call a, a come-and-see approach. Their mission exerted a centripetal force, moving people towards the center, moving people towards Jerusalem at the height of their national glory under King Solomon's reign. The peoples of the earth including kings and queens, they were drawn to the city of David. They were marveling at the glory of Israel within this beautiful city of Jerusalem. The nations were invited to come and see God's glory, come and see his blessings. And they were, of course, invited to experience it themselves. But now that Christ has ascended and the Spirit has come, the mission still begins with Israel. I mean, just think about it. The first Christians were Israelites. The first church was where? In Jerusalem. But the mission won't rest there. The mission of God advances forward with centrifugal force, moving out, moving away from the center. God's church those that have been baptized by the Holy Spirit are commissioned to bless the nations, not just with a come and see approach, but with a go and tell approach. Listen again to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the rest of the book of Acts shows how that mission unfolds with centrifugal force. It starts in Jerusalem. That's going to be chapters 2 to 7. And then it radiates throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's chapters 8 to 12. And then it advances forth to the ends of the earth in chapters 13 all the way to the end, to 28. I mean, and have you ever noticed, if you've read through the entire book of Acts, have you noticed how the book ends without a clear conclusion to the story? we as readers are left with an implicit challenge to really pick up, pick up where it left off and to continue the mission. And it's, exci it's exciting if you think about it. 
The church today has a significant part to play in this very ancient mission that has been radiating out of Jerusalem with centrifugal force for the last 2,000 years. Do you want to be a part of that? That's what we're called to do. So this is why our church must never remain stagnant, must never remain inwardly focused. We can't just adopt a come-and-see approach. Now look, there are good reasons for any church, including HCC, to invest in facilities, to improve their programming, to strengthen their small groups, to, to, to become a more welcoming church. That's all well and good. We should be doing those things, investing in those things. But you do really realize that's a come-and-see approach, which is going to be effective for fellow Christians who are new to Houston, coming to town, looking for a church. It's going to be great for them. It's also going to be great for any of our non-Christian friends who are even willing to step foot into a church building. That's going to be great to be able to reach more people and to be able to, 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 to bring more people into this church. But you know, there are so many non-Christians in your life who have no interest in coming to church. To reach them for Christ, you're going to have to go to them. And that's why at the heart of the church's mission has to be a go-and-tell approach that advances with centrifugal force. The church is, by nature, a sending organization. And that's true. If that's true, then we need to adjust the typical metric by which we measure success. Instead of determining how successful a church is by measuring how many new members we take in or how big we get, you know, you know, what's your attendance on Sundays, instead of asking those questions, we should be measuring how many members do we send out on mission? How many churches are we continuing to plant? And will those new churches eventually plant newer churches? You know, when ethnos, by God's grace, matures to the point where they're in position to plant another church, man, that is going to be a good sign of success. How many people are going and telling? How many are we sending? How many are we planting? Look, friends, I, I know that can't be the only metric. A church's success has to be measured in a variety of ways, but I, I think it is fair to say that a sending metric is often overlooked and underappreciated. And that's why we're committed as HCC to sending out ethnos and supporting them until they're able to flourish on their own. It's because we see what God is calling us to do is to be a church that's about sending, about going and telling. That's the second thing we see about our mission. Now the third thing we see in our text about our church's mission is that we are on a mission advanced with patience and diligence. And that's a particular word needed for the apostles here in this passage. Look back at verse 6. You can tell that they're a bit impatient, hoping for Jesus to restore the kingdom, to take up his earthly rule at this time, right now. They wanted his kingdom to come right now. They wanted his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. 
I mean, their Lord just defeated death. I mean, he, here he is. He's back, and he's standing before them in this glorified, resurrected body. And so you can understand that in their enthusiasm, they assume now is the perfect time for Jesus to reign over his kingdom here on earth. Now, notice how Jesus doesn't reject their expectations for a restored kingdom. He doesn't squash their hope that one day his kingdom values and his kingdom ethics and his kingdom priorities will all be perfectly reflected and celebrated in all the earth. He doesn't squash that hope. But Jesus goes on to explain that the timing of all of this, when all of this is going to take place, is really none of our concern. Look at verse 7. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. All you need to know is that the Father has fixed a date for the kingdom's restoration. And that's why you should be confident that his kingdom will come, that God's will will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Because he promised it. His kingdom in all of its fullness will be established here on earth But that day has yet to come. And in verse 9, Jesus basically underlines that point by ascending into the clouds out of sight. It's like he's saying to the apostles, sorry to disappoint, but I'm taking off now. I won't be establishing my earthly reign today. And he just kind of floats away. And they're like, oh, okay. Now they realize, okay, I guess that it's not going to be right now. They have to be patient. The king will return. Of that you can be sure. And when that day arrives, they can be sure that the kingdom will come in all of its fullness. And that really is the hope sustaining so many Christians, so many churches today. They're patiently waiting in hope that Jesus will return. Jesus will rescue us from this world that is filled with darkness and despair, filled with sin and suffering. There are so many Christians who are heeding Jesus' words and patiently waiting with their eyes fixed on heaven, waiting for his return. But perhaps what they also need to hear, what they also need to heed are the words of the two angels who appear immediately after Jesus ascends. Being patient as you wait for heaven to come down to earth is one thing, but you also need to be diligent with the mission you've been given to witness to the realities of heaven while you're still here on earth. Look at verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's like these angels appear and and they see these disciples with their heads in the clouds and they're asking, why are you guys staring off into space? Didn't Jesus give you a mission to advance? What are you doing? Go do it. I think some Christians today are, are likewise staring off into heaven. Just waiting for Jesus to return. They've concluded that our world is just so corrupt. Our, our world is, is so irredeemable that they've, they've disengaged from, from mission. They just, they've, they've, they've huddled together in their worshiping, worshiping communities, just hoping and praying that Jesus will come back soon to scoop them up and get them out of here before it all burns. Church, that can't be us. 
if we ever find ourselves gazing up into heaven with anxiousness, with a, with a kind of anxiousness that takes our eyes off of our earthly mission to make more disciples and to plant more churches, that perhaps we need the same angelic words ringing in our ears. Brothers and sisters of HCC, brothers and sisters of Ethnos, why do you stand looking into heaven? There's a job to do. There's a mission to advance. Stop staring into the sky waiting for Jesus. He'll come when he comes. And when he comes, he'll bring all of heaven with him. But in the meanwhile, get to it. The king of kings has ascended to his throne, which therefore means that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Jesus is sitting right now in absolute authority, and he has given us a mission to accomplish And as well, he has given us his spirit to carry it out. What more could we ask for? Like the apostles, we are called to be witnesses, to speak of what we have seen and what we have experienced of the risen Christ. We are here to proclaim a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. We are to call sinners to turn to the one who died for sins and who rose again so that all who trust in him may have everlasting life. That's our message. That's what we are to proclaim. That's what we are to live out. Now, let's be realistic. Our job is not to bring heaven down to earth. That's what Jesus is going to do. We just want to make sure that when he returns, he won't catch us just standing around looking up into heaven. Instead, when he returns, I hope he finds us diligently witnessing in his name, in our Jerusalem, in ours, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, that is our hope, that we may be a faithful people, faithful to your mission. So Lord, keep us on task. Keep us patient and diligent in advancing your mission. I thank you, Lord, that you have set apart brothers and sisters to be a part of this church planning team, to be sent out from HCC, to be on this mission, to make God-loving, compassionate disciples of Jesus Christ among all nations to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I forgot we're not going to sing immediately. We're going to be sending off um, our ethnos team. That's a force of habit. Uh, let me read to you. Uh, this is John, and he's going to be introducing in a moment his team. Uh, let me read to you out of Acts chapter 13. Uh, out of the spirit of this text is what we're about to do now as we're going to be sending them off. And at the same time, as they're coming up here, I want to also uh, invite Pastor Fred and Pastor Henry to come on up. Let me read to you Acts 13, verses 1 to 4. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 
Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Solution. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. I want you to notice there that it's the Holy Spirit who is setting apart this team and calling us to lay hands and to send them out as HCC. And it's the Holy Spirit who is sending them out on mission. And specifically, they're going over to the west side of town, the neighborhood around, neighborhoods around the energy corridor. Some of them already live there. John and I just moved there. And so they're going to begin, like we said, uh, starting some worship services uh, at a, um, a condo clubhouse over there initially. And John is going to uh, tell more about uh, what they're going to be doing if you join us later today uh, at their reception in the chapel at, at two, uh, 2 this afternoon. So I'll give you even more details about some of the next steps for them. But right now I want to uh, give John a chance to introduce uh, his team to us. So he'll quickly just introduce them and then we'll pray for them. Well, it's a privilege to be here with you all this morning. Um, I want to first of all introduce you to my team, wonderful team, God-given team. Um, to start off with my own wife, Aya. got three sons, Joseph, Noah, and Micah. And um, we have the, uh, we'll go with the Woos next, Alex and Yvette, and their precious daughter, uh, Naomi. We have the Williams in the back, if you can see them. They are coming from Christ Community Church. Daniel and Marissa. They have uh, four children, Jonah, Simon, Grace, uh, and Eli. We have uh, Noemi next. She is actually coming from a Brazilian church, um, so thank you. And uh, we have in the back over there um, the Ties, Jimmy and Tomo, Nate and Luke. They're coming from West Houston, I should say Christian church now, if you guys know that they've changed their name. So uh, West Houston Chinese Church, but now Christian Church. And then we have um, the Joes next. Uh, many of you know John and Catherine. And then Peggy over there. She also is coming from Christ Community Church. So grateful for everyone that the Lord has brought together. Uh, just to fill you all in, we've, we've been recruiting since last uh, two Septembers ago, 2022, and just uh, beginning this past October, we began developing the team. Uh, this team, if you, you can think of it as like if you've ever been on a mission trip and you have team meetings before you go onto the field, it's kind of like that um, planning and strategizing. And so those, that's what we kind of did. Um, last month, we started our first missional community uh, that's being led by Alex. And we're, they're, they're like our community groups here at HCC, and we're meeting out in Memorial in, the, in Daniel and Marissa's home. Later today, we'll be covenanting to, together as a church for the first time, and then next week, we're going to have our first weekly, we're going to start our first weekly public Sunday gatherings in a clubhouse in Memorial, and that'll be uh, where Jimmy and Tomo live. So later on, we'll, we'll move to a, a local school in, in the target area. Ultimately, our vision is to be a diverse, gospel-centered uh, community and church uh, treasuring Christ together, and planting more healthy churches for the glory of God. So as we target the neighborhoods surrounding the energy corridor, which include the number one and number three most diverse neighborhoods in Houston in terms of race, age, and income, uh, we're hoping to bring the gospel to a diverse group of people 
and to make disciples of Christ among the nations that have come to Houston. I grew up here at HCC, have benefited so much from being a part of the theologically rich, um, deeply gospel-centered, but also warm and hospitable community that we have here. Uh, and I hope, to, I hope that this congregation uh, will see the planting of Ethnos Church as just an extension of what it means for HCC to make God-loving and compassionate disciples of Jesus Christ among all nations. But, but not, just, not just way out somewhere else in a different country, but right here in our hometown of Houston. The nations have come to Houston, and we at Ethnos will be just one way in which HCC seeks to advance the kingdom of God through an intentionally multi-ethnic, international type of church uh, being planted. And so please pray for us that God would bless our efforts to try to bring the gospel to people who may look very different from us, people who may think and believe very different things than us, people who are very different culturally, socioeconomically, educationally than us. And also pray for us to handle conflicts well. And, and in a way that honors God and demonstrates biblical love. Because within multi-ethnic churches, you can imagine cultural differences and cultural preferences can, can make small things into big things. Uh, so we need God's grace to help us work through whatever challenges come our way in trying to bring people from a lot of different backgrounds together into one body of Christ. Thanks. Can we have the team? Can you guys come up here a little bit and then... Um... Fred and Henry and I will we'll kind of surround you guys in the back, but have the team. Yeah, you guys can kind of head over there. And, uh, Fred and Henry will pray first, and then I'll close off. And we'll, uh, we'll lay hands on a, on a few people and just imagine it's going on all of you. <laughs> and you guys can reach out your hands if, as well if you want to. Uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be praying as a church, laying hands on them. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your great love and grace that you provided us um, salvation, Lord. And you have not uh, only uh, died for us, but uh, the whole world. The gospel is available for all. And yet, Lord, uh, many do not know you. And Father, we thank you for this team, the Ethnos team, Lord, for uh, their calling to step out of their comfort zone to, uh, so that they would be obedient to the Great Commission to, to make your name known to the world, Lord. And Father, uh, we thank you for the many different uh, gifts that you have given to all the different members that are here. We pray, Lord, that we will work together as a single unit in glorifying you, Lord. And just as... Uh, Pastor Jason preached this morning, we cannot do it out of our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. We need you to empower us, Lord. And in order to do that, Lord, we pray for each members here in our spiritual walk with you, our dependence upon you, Lord. One of, uh, one of the core values that uh, Ethnos has is to be a praying church to be committed to you, recognizing that we can't do it by ourselves. So, Lord, we pray that they will join together in submitting themselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we recognize that your spirit alone is able to open the eyes of the blind, and that it is your spirit that empowers us to be a light in dark places.
We thank you for Ethnos Church and their desire to go to the Energy Corridor area to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask that your spirit who dwells within them would empower them for this ministry and for this work. That they would have the courage to be able to invite their friends, their neighbors, their classmates, their coworkers to attend their services and to discover the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you help them to open up their homes to be places where meals are shared, but also spiritual conversations are had so that the name of Jesus might be heard possibly for the first time. We ask that through their lips that they would be able to proclaim clearly, wisely, and with great love and compassion the gospel of Jesus that is able to save the souls of individuals who are lost, so that those who are once walking in darkness might not only see and experience the light, but that they might walk in that light. And so we ask that your spirit would empower them for this work of evangelism that you call them to do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we want to pray for the gospel witness of Ethnos Church through their pulpit, through their missional community groups, through the lips of their members, and through their life together as the body of Christ. May they faithfully and powerfully witness the gospel realities of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. May they witness to the message of reconciliation and to the gift of eternal life. May all those whom you put in their lives, in the lives of these brothers and sisters, may all those have the opportunity through their witness to taste and see the goodness, beauty, and truth of your gospel. May you preserve the vision of church planning within their hearts. May you, in your good timing, raise up a future church planner from within their ranks. May they be in a position to multiply themselves with disciple-making disciples and plant another church-planting church. May you keep the Great Commission on the forefront of who they are as ethnos and all that they do as a church. It's in your holy name we send them out. It's in your holy name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for praying. Thank you, team. Let's give uh, them a hand. You guys can be seated.